We are SC Podcast, Gary Pasquitz, and uh, it is Notre Dame week, and so uh, we are pleased to be joined by Thomas Rupp, who uh, just wrote a book that uh, I think a lot of Trojan fans are going to be interested in when it talks about the uh, the early stages of the Newt Rockney and Howard Jones role in developing the USC-Notre Dame rivalry, which obviously has become one of the best in the country. And so, Thomas, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, you spending the time with me. To tell us how you got interested in this element of the rivalry and that this was what you wanted to write about and the story you felt was important telling. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's kind of a story in itself because I'm not – my background's not like a professional writer or a, you know, a sports reporter or anything like that. I was just a fan, a guy on the VRSC uh, football boards and, and around the uh, USC-Notre Dame time always seeing – you know, the different fans going back and forth about some bad call this year or some controversy that year or bad luck or crazy weather in South Bend. And I started looking into, you know, seeing what really happened. And the more I went into the very early years and, you know, I'd heard this guy named Howard Jones, didn't know too much about him. But the more I learned, the more interesting story I thought it was. And I just kept at it and kept researching and uh, thought this would be a great story, you know, for people to, to know more about. And I thought what was interesting is the way you kind of told the story of the era as well and how, how this game came about. And then it was one of the rivalries that kind of withstood uh, that era and is still obviously going strong today. Tell us about that. That's right. Um, I think that that's a big reason why the uh, USC-Notre Dame rivalry is, is so Unique. I mean, most rivalries are like, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Army, Navy. There's some sort of natural reasons for them to, to have come about. But mm-hmm. USC and, and Notre Dame's not really that way. It's not like they're a J. It's not like USC and UCLA, for instance. I mean, that's only, you know, uh, log- logical. And a few years before this series uh, started, the USC's big rivals were like Occidental and Pomona Pitzer and stuff, you know. So um, in the in the post-World War One era, uh, college football got really big. Um, it was a, it was a changing time. Our kind of modern world started to take shape. Um, the, the farm life that Americans had before was being set aside. People moving into the cities, new technologies. It actually was a lot like today, although obviously there's a lot of differences, you know, as well. But um, the technology was changing how people lived, and uh, football had actually been used as a training device for the Army uh, and, and Navy uh, training during World War One. Every camp had their own team, and they had marching bands, they had cheerleaders. And so this big boom in college, going to college, uh, and the uh, football came this, this huge, um, you know, attraction. Uh, pro football was just really hardly on the radar. And um, basically because of the, the Relationship that Knut Rockney, which by the way you're supposed to pronounce the K. <laughs> I sure. guess if somebody wrote the book, I have to I have to pronounce it that way, even though it's kind of awkward. And Howard Jones had played each other uh, when Howard Jones was at Iowa, and USC was looking for uh, a big matchup to put on their their schedule every year, and um, it was kind of happenstance because uh, Nebraska had been uh, Notre Dame's big Western rival. Their Eastern rival was the, the uh, uh, with Army in West Point, and um, Nebraska, they had a lot of uh, kind of anti-Catholic uh, shenanigans going on in the stands. People in Notre Dame got tired of it, and they were just about ready to drop uh, in Nebraska, and when Gwen Wilson 
who was the student manager in the athletic department at USC, got wind of that. Well, he moved in and, and tried to get USC on the map. So really the, the teams got together because they were both uh, kind of celebrity football programs, USC, the new kid on the block, Notre Dame, kind of the established power. And I think it was just, uh, you know, something that uh, that the fans really uh, grabbed onto. And then talk about one of the interesting, uh, whether you want to call it the myth uh, surrounding the rivalry come together, is the importance of the two coaches' wives and their role in it putting together. What You researched this. Tell us what you found out. Well, you know, that story obviously goes way back. Um, there was a history professor out of uh, the University of Indiana about 10 or 15 years ago wrote a book called Shakedown to Thunder that – his uh, viewpoint was that that was kind of mythology, that that, that didn't really happen. Um, but what I found was that Gwen Wilson actually made that trip back east. Now, the documentation I found was that uh, you know did not show that he went to Nebraska, as the old story says, when the, the day before the game, uh, uh, Notre Dame versus Nebraska, that Gwen Wilson kind of surprised uh, Rockney and the deal was sealed on the way back when uh, Gwen Wilson's wife and Kenny Rockney's wife, Bunny Rocky, Rockney, were uh, speaking together uh, on the train, and, and she, the wife kind of leaned on Canute to, to rethink, you know, scheduling USC. But I tried to put the puzzle pieces together with the documentation I had. Um, there's, there's a lot of details. I have a whole basically chapter in the book that talks about it, and I can't prove conclusively that it happened, but there's really no other explanation uh, that has any kind of evidence and I think uh, I can show that more likely than not, it actually did happen. And then one of the big things that I, that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in is the actual relationship uh, between Rockney and Jones. How did those two get along? What, what, what was that situation like? Well, for me, as, you know, as a researcher, before actually writing the book, it was difficult to find out much about Howard Jones. He was a very quiet person. Anything you read about him was that even his friends didn't really know him very well. Um, I actually tracked down Howard Jones' uh, daughter and interviewed her before she passed away a few years ago and, and found out as much as I could. And while there's – I didn't want to write anything that didn't happen. I didn't want to make things up. So most of the contact I found was either like at a coach's meeting or, you know, during the games or what have you. But they, they, they had a very kind of complimentary relationship. But the one thing I did find of a more – personal nature is is Howard Jones' daughter, she was only four years old at the time, but she recalled very well how upset he was when he found out that Kenny Rockney died in a plane crash in 1931. He, uh, Howard Jones had been driving back from the Bay Area when it happened and found out when all these reporters were ringing his phone when he got home. And her uh, memory was that he was practically in tears. He's not the kind of guy to cry like a baby, but he was he was thoroughly upset. Um, and actually, uh, another well-known story, how he took the team after the 1931 game, the big upset of Notre Dame, a uh, big comeback game, and took the team out to the cemetery in South Bend, and they had a moment of silence for Canoe Rockney. So there was really a lot of respect and, and warm relations between the two. In, in doing your research for the book, and that is a great story right there, um, in doing your research for the book, besides that story, was there any moment, is there anything that you look back and really touched you or anything that was really interesting that you found out? Well, a couple things. Um, again, you know, so little of Howard Jones is known, but the thing that I've always found interesting is how um, if you if you want to take kind of the stereotype of Notre Dame, especially at that time, as being conservative, the Catholic Church, the Midwest, 
USC was the Hollywood side, the new part of the country, the up-and-coming, you know, guys. You would think that they would have the flashy coach, that is USC, and Notre Dame would have the conservative coach. It's kind of the other way around, where Notre Dame had Rockney, who was very glib, very media savvy. Howard Jones was very quiet. He was um, uh, called sometimes uh, nicknamed Old Jug Ears or the Drill Sergeant and that sort of thing. Um, so it's kind of a yin and yang thing where if you think about the yin and yang symbol, there's a little circle in each side, which is a little element of the other. Uh, and, and that's what uh, strikes me as being, uh, being so kind of ironic about uh, those, two, those two men and their, and their personalities. That's just so interesting. This rivalry has turned into so much. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons for it is because you, you take it back that far, and yet both programs have maintained a high level of success through that time period. And so I don't know how many rivalries, like you say, this is the one that uh, has stood the test of time uh, from that era. And I don't know how many other intersectional ones could have developed, but one, one of the two partners maybe didn't hold up their end as much as the other one did. USC and Notre Dame have consistently done that through the years. Exactly. And, you know, the Army was really their – probably their biggest rivalry, you know, began in 1913 when Rockney was a, a player for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But in the post-war era, they didn't play between 1947 and 1957. And then as years went by, of course, the service academies, we all like watching them play, but they're not, not the top level of, of NCAA competition anymore. So USC was really the rivalry that, that came out of the Roaring Twenties. You think about all these crazy fads of the Roaring Twenties, raccoon coats and – goldfish eating contests and Charleston marathons and all all that stuff went away, but the USC Notre Dame rivalry is kind of like almost like finding this uh, dinosaur fossil that goes all the way back all those decades. It's almost been 100 years now. It's getting pretty close to it. And other than the couple of years during World War II, they played every year. That's great stuff. Hey, uh, Thomas, let, let everyone know uh, how, how they can find your book and how they can pick it up. Well, you know, it's it's available online. Um uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, those usual places. It's actually being carried at the USC bookstore on campus now. Um, and, uh, you know, your local bookstore may not have it, but you can certainly order it through it. Uh, but like I say, uh, pretty much all the usual suspects, uh, in terms of the internet. And you can go to www.rockneyandjonesthebook.com and learn a little bit more. I appreciate it. This must have been a, just a fun project to work on for you. It was, and, and I really enjoyed, you know, I interviewed a couple of, of, there's only a few left now, one of them's died in the interim, but of guys who played for uh, Howard Jones, and it was very interesting, you know, and, and even reading the newspaper articles, a lot of the things we see today, you know, the the Hollywood crowd on the USC sidelines was exactly the same in the 1920s. Uh, that's great. I appreciate it. Lots of good SC Notre Dame memories to think of this week. Appreciate your time, Thomas. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, for Thomas Rupp, this is Gary Pasquich. You're listening to the We Are SC Podcast.